Our scripture reading today is from Mark 10, 17 through 21. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you like, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have, have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And before we get started in this, I was just going to say that I know a lot of you probably been seeing on Facebook and stuff of Neil in Guatemala doing the great work that they're doing there. And I've been there through the generosity of the church last year, and it's an awesome trip, a great time, but it's a, it's a lot of hard work, too. If you've seen the pictures of Neil on there, he's sweaty and dirty, and I'm sure by now he's probably ready to come back to preaching. But it's an awesome trip. And... Um, Dale went with us last time we went, and I'm sure he will agree with us. If we never mix another ounce of concrete till the day we die, we will probably not miss it one bit. You agree, Dale? <laughs> but I also talked to Neil this morning, and he said that I had the easy job because he's having to preach there through an interpreter. So, of course, I made him feel better. I said, at least you don't know what he's saying. He could be making fun of you the whole time. So, I think that made him feel really good. But, anyway... Today we're going to look at the rich young ruler and see what we can get from that. And I think a lot of people really just don't understand this passage a lot. I think we've heard it a lot. We've read through it. We've heard it preached on. But for some reason it's just something we read through and that's kind of it. We really don't take it to heart. We really don't study it. And I think we miss a lot of it. And the problem with this scripture is, is I love it and hate it for two reasons. I love it because... It's a scripture that shows exactly what it takes to follow Christ. It shows us exactly what we got to do. There's no um, guesswork. There's nothing. It shows us exactly what it takes to follow. Now on the flip side of that, the bad part, it also shows exactly what it takes to follow Christ. It shows us that slacking is not an option. Jesus does not take slackers. It's everything or it's nothing. So the verse, while it shows exactly what to do, it also kind of intimidates us because it shows us exactly what to do. And 
it kind of makes us scared that we can't live up to that. So, in my opinion, there are really three possibilities that can be done with this scripture. Three things that when people read it, they usually do with it. The first one, they read over it, like I just said, they don't think twice about it. They have nothing to do with it. They read over it, and that's pretty much it. They don't have any thoughts on it. They don't understand it, and they don't care to really dig into it and learn from it. Second possibility is they read it, but they don't understand the main point. You don't understand exactly what it's talking about. And they don't take the time to dig in and find out exactly what it means. And again, we're missing a huge point and a huge chunk of Christianity here when we don't dig into it and find the meaning to it. And the third possibility is even worse. A lot of preachers that I've even heard preached, I've seen it on TV, I've read stuff about it. They put meanings into this verse that are not biblical. They put meanings into it to basically fit their sermon or fit what they want to believe. But when you go to the Bible and try to find it, it's not biblical. They can't support it anyway with Scripture. So hopefully today I can take this Scripture and explain it to you in a way that we can all understand it and give us the true impact of it and really show us what the point of it is. And that's hopefully going to impact our life in a way that we really start to live for Christ in a way that we never have before. So... Um, Gene came up here and read Mark 10, 17 through 27 a few minutes ago. Hope you're really paying attention to it because we're going to go through the scripture a lot. I'll read a lot of it back to you so we can look at different parts of it. So, but just from the reading that he did in your mind, what do you think the main point of the scripture is? What do you think the central message that the writer was trying to tell us this? What do you think is the main point in your mind? Don't start hollering answers at me, but if you had to answer, what would the main point be? And just kind of keep that in your head, and we're going to go through it, and hopefully you either have the right answer, or if not, you'll continue to see how we get the right answer in a few minutes. But just think about this man. He was a blessing to have in the church. He was the young ruler. He had everything that we think is good. He was rich. He was moral. You know, community leader. He was basically everything that a church would want to come in here. If the guy walked through the doors today, we'd probably try to get him to come back and try to get him to join the church. So in our eyes, this rich young ruler would be somebody that would benefit the church. But the problem is that something in his life had a greater priority than God did. And we're going to see later that that is his biggest downfall. That is the thing that actually kept him out of heaven eventually. So just think about really how radical this situation is. Like I said, when we read it, we don't necessarily understand it. But just think about how radical this situation is. If there is anything in our life that we're not willing to turn over to God, you cannot be a child of God. And a lot of people say, well, that may not be true, but I think the Scripture is going to prove otherwise to us. If there is anything that you knowingly hold back when you come to be saved, when you come to accept Christ, He don't want you. If you're holding something back from Him, He don't want you right now. If there's anything that you will not turn over to God, you cannot be a child of God yet. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Just let that sink in a minute. If there's anything, any part of your life that you want to hold on to, there's no point coming up here right now to accept Christ because you're not ready. And you're probably thinking, well, you know, that's really a tough deal. Well, you're right, it is. But Christianity is a tough thing, but it's worth it. 
Jesus has been pretty much trying to say the same thing all along, but for some reason people don't hear it. We don't understand what he's saying. I mean, he's told us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. That's pretty much him or nothing. That's all in total commitment. says, anybody that loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. If you love your mother, father, your son, or daughter, or boyfriend, girlfriend, anything or anybody in your life, you're not worthy of Christ. That's a pretty radical statement right there. If there's anything that you put over him, you are not worthy to follow him. How much more radical can he really say this? I mean, there's not really anything else he can do. But the problem is we read that, we just smooth over it. We don't really want to think about it because it affects our life. And we don't want to think about it because that would probably make us change something. And that would make us quit doing things that we don't need to be doing. So we just kind of read over it. We just want to hear preachers come in and preach a nice little happy message and not step on the toes too much and not get in your face too much so you leave happy. But the problem is that's not how Jesus taught, is it? The problem is, is that's what's going to send a lot of people to hell one day. And that's something that we need to look over and take care of. Jesus says that he is number one. Or he is absolutely nothing at all. There is no middle ground. There's no halfway serving him. There's no halfway to follow him. You're either completely, totally committed. He is your number one priority or he is absolutely nothing. He don't want nothing to do with you if you halfway try to live for him. He wants every bit of it. So let's look at verse 17. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And we'll just stop there for a second. It says a man. Now how do we know this was a rich young ruler? That's a good question. From Luke 18, 18, we understand he is a ruler. And from Matthew 19, 20 is where we get he was a young man. Which in the Old Testament, everybody from 40 on down was considered young. So I've still got a couple years and I'm still young. So that's where we get the idea that he was a rich young ruler. So it's not exactly said in scripture, but we put the pieces together and that's what we come up with. Ruler probably meant that he was in charge of like a local synagogue there or maybe something even more important than that, which was a very important job to hold in itself. It means he was in charge of keeping the scrolls dusted and keeping them in their place and making sure they were protected. This guy was a, this man was a very influential leader. He held a high responsibility. People listened to him. People liked him. When he said stuff, people listened to him. He was a community leader, like I said before. He was very respected and very high importance. People really looked up to this guy. So he had a very important place. So does anything from that first sentence strike you as strange? The man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Think about that. This very important, influential guy ran up to this guy that probably looked homeless and fell on his knees in front of him. He would have been dressed in probably the nicest clothes that he could find. He probably would have had on a nice suit and everything. But he ran up to him and fell on his knees on his face at Jesus in this dusty and dirty road and didn't care one bit what he looked like to other people. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus, who was basically a non-accredited rabbi. He had no formal training, no teaching, and... This guy really didn't know who he was at the time exactly. But for some reason, this man ran up to him and threw himself on the feet of Jesus. 
That's pretty strange, isn't it? Can you imagine somebody like, we'll just pretend Obama's a great president right now. Imagine Obama running up to some, some unaccredited, uneducated person and throwing themselves at the feet of them. That just don't happen. Rich people, especially influential people, don't run and throw themselves at anybody, especially people that probably looked like Jesus did at the time. So that's something strange is happening already. And then he asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's a couple things that we got to look at in this first question here to figure out what this guy's actually asking and what he actually means by it. First thing, we got to figure out what does he mean by the word good. Second, we got to figure out what does, what must I mean? What does, what must I do mean? And third thing we got to understand is what does he understand eternal life to mean? So we have to understand all these three things before we understand what he's asking and really get to the root of what this passage is talking about. The first thing, what does the word good mean? Jesus picked up on the word good to show that this man had only a cultural understanding of the word good. He didn't really have an understanding of the kingdom of God side of what good really meant. In other words, he was using good in an earthly sense, kind of, if that makes sense. And Jesus is going to go on to ask him some questions in a few minutes later on a scripture, later on a scripture that will show the shallowness of his understanding of the word good. And we'll see all this in a minute. Second thing is what must I do? That's kind of a weird question when you're asking about salvation. What must I do? Because back then, this was like a first century work-oriented Jew that thought he was right with God by the things that he did. He didn't understand it was a relationship like we do now. He just thought that if he had good works and he did the right things, he was right with God. He thought he did the good things. The harder he worked, the better he was with God. But we know now that that's not the way it was. And the third thing is, what did he mean by eternal life? You think he knew what we mean by eternal life? No. Because, I mean, there was no gospel of Romans yet, so he, didn't, he couldn't understand completely what it meant to have eternal life. His concept of eternal life was based on Daniel chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, The righteous who lay in the dust of the earth will inherit eternal life. And basically, this guy is asking a question about end times. He don't understand eternal life even though it's eternal life, it's a quality of life that we have now. He's asking, what's going to happen to me when I die? Where am I going to go? And we understand eternal life as something that we have now and as something that we have fully when we do die and go to heaven. Eternal life is a quality of life because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And he didn't understand that concept at all. And he really didn't even understand who Jesus was. He didn't understand he was the Son of God, I don't think. He just thought he was this great teacher, maybe a great prophet or something. So, so Jesus begins to ask this guy some questions here. And back to the word good, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is perfectly good except God himself. And a lot of preachers that don't believe Jesus is equal to God use this scripture saying, Look, Jesus is telling you that he's not equal to God. But that's absolutely not true. By asking these questions, Jesus is trying to show them the shallowness of his understanding of the word good. It's not just good in moral terms as he's thinking. It's not earthly terms. Jesus is basically saying, I want you to understand the true standard of judgment. The true standard of judgment is God alone and not anyone else you can compare yourself to. 
this guy was thinking, well, you know, I'm good or better than the next guy. I've done all these things better than him, and I hadn't done these things that this guy's doing. So I'm good, right? And Jesus is trying to get through to him and say, just because you're better than this guy, you're not good. Nobody's good but God. That's pretty much the point he's trying to make with the word good. The standard of comparison is the Lord God himself, and the Lord God himself only is nobody else that has or ever will walk this earth. It is only Jesus. It is only God. We can't compare ourselves to other people. We can't say we're good because we're better than somebody. And that's the point that Jesus was trying to open his eyes to right there. Jesus don't tell him who he is yet. He don't tell him that he is the Son of God. He just, I mean, why would he tell him he's the Savior yet? Why would he tell the ruler he was the Savior? This guy don't even think he has anything to be saved from yet. He thinks he's this awesome guy that's done everything he could possibly do for God. He thinks he's awesome. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong in his life. So he thinks when he dies, he's trying to figure out, how do I get this eternal life that you talked about? I'm a good person. I'm ready to go. But Jesus continues to ask him different questions here and show him his false comparison of the word good and the kingdom idea of the word good. In verse 19, Jesus goes on to show him now, the standard of comparison when he tells them, You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, you shall honor your father and your mother. Jesus took this guy back to the commandments. Notice he didn't go to any guy to say, Look, you're better than this guy. No, he went to the commandments. Knowing that nobody could keep these commandments, he went to these commandments to show them you are not good. The only one that is good is God. So in verse 20, he comes back. The teacher, notice the word he dropped. He dropped the word good there, by the way. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Now think about that. This God, this Jesus, just recited the, some of the Ten Commandments to him. And we know nobody can keep those. And this man turns back to him and says, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. I've done all of this. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't committed murder. I hadn't killed anybody. I hadn't hated anybody. I hadn't stole anything. I hadn't committed adultery. I hadn't done anything that I shouldn't have done, so I'm good, right? I'm a kind, loving, moral person. I'm, I'm good. I'm great. I deserve the kingdom of God. In his mind, he was actually right with God because remember, the Jewish law had laws where they did everything in the world to make sure they were right with God. They had literally thousands of laws of things that they could do. And when you follow those, you think that you're right with God because you follow them completely. And the problem is, is that's just the law. That's not necessarily the Jesus teaching. And we say, well, you know, that's terrible that this guy may think that he's perfect. But the thing is, Paul said the same exact thing. And nobody really questioned him when he said it. In Philippians 3, 6, he says, As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was faultless. Paul said, According to the law, I've kept everything. I've done everything the law requires me to do, so no, I'm faultless before God. Now, the difference between Paul and the young ruler is Paul understood salvation. He understood who Jesus was at this point. He understood that there is a difference in following the law and having a relationship with Jesus because in 3.9 in Philippians, Paul goes on to say, Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So Paul knows the difference, but this young ruler did not realize that. He didn't realize it yet. 
he still thought he was right because he kept the law. He wasn't trying to trick Jesus, and I've heard a lot of sermons preached on that where this guy's trying to trick Jesus into something, but I really don't think he was. I think this was a sincere person that really believed he was right with God and really believed that he had kept everything that he's supposed to kept. He really believed everything that he'd been taught by his parents and the religious leaders in his community and the culture that he was in. So this guy had a pure heart. He was really trying to ask Jesus a sincere question. He wasn't trying to get over on him. He wasn't trying to do any of that. He was really trying to ask him a question and get real answers. So he was following the tradition. And tradition is good, but it can also cover up a whole lot of truth. A lot of people do a lot of stuff from tradition that has no point. Kind of like, look what happened in Judaism. From what he had been taught, he was right with God. But Jesus was about to crush him. In verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now the word loved him there says that as the Greek word agape. This word means God's unconditional love. God loves us unconditionally. No matter what we do, God's going to love us and God's going to be there for us and God's going to continue to love us no matter how much we mess up. God loves us unconditionally, but He places a condition on salvation, which is He has to be the top priority. He has to be number one over everything. He has to be the one that is above everything. If you have anything that you're holding back from Him, you're not worthy to follow him, basically. This is where the total commitment and Jesus, of, Jesus as priority becomes crucial. Jesus loved them, but he wouldn't lower the standards for this guy. Notice what Jesus says to him in the rest of the verse. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Notice Jesus didn't tell him, sell part of what you have. He didn't say, sell a lot of what you have, keep some of the money for yourself. He didn't say, keep a lot of the money for yourself and do what you want to do with it. And he says, sell every single thing that you own and take the money and give it to the poor. Now this man had a lot of stuff. This man back in that day would have had a lot of probably land and livestock and stuff like that. So can you imagine him being told to sell everything you've got, give up your entire life, and come follow him? This man was pretty much devastated and crushed when Jesus told him that. He didn't really know what to think. and He didn't really know what to say anymore. He thought that he was great with God. He thought he was awesome. He expected to ask this question to Jesus, and Jesus was going to pat him on the back and be like, well, you know, that's a great thing you've been doing You're going to end up in heaven with me one day. I'm going to give you a pat on the back. That's what he expected. But instead, Jesus came up to him and basically metaphorically slapped him across the face and said, you're not worthy of me. I told you to sell your riches and give it to the poor and follow me. And when he told him that, the verse says this man's face fell. He was crushed. He was devastated. He hated hearing that. Because he loved his riches and he loved everything he had. He loved his power. He loved his life. He loved everything that he had worked for. And Jesus told him to get rid of it. Follow me. So imagine somebody comes to you this week and tells you. And this somebody is just somebody that you kind of maybe know. 
don't look important, no real education. He comes to you and says, I want you to sell your house. I want you to sell your car. I want you to give up your job. I want you to leave your kids. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave every single thing that you got behind and follow me. Would you do it? That's kind of a tough thought. Because immediately when we hear the guy's face fail and he walked away sad, we think, oh, well, that's kind of stupid. You know, he was standing there with Jesus and Jesus told him to follow him. He walked away. But when you put it in those terms, would you really give up everything you had to follow somebody you really didn't know who he was yet? We probably really wouldn't. And that's, well, that's not good. It's a tough statement, isn't it? and it's meant to be because Christianity is tough. But like I said, it's worth it. Think about how radical that is now. Jesus requires everything, 100%, absolutely everything in your life, or he don't want anything. He is 100% for Jesus or nothing. And now, with this verse, I also want to clarify something because a lot of preachers, like I said, this is where people insert stuff that actually has no biblical meaning to it. This verse is absolutely 0% about money. It has nothing to do with money at all. The only thing that you could possibly get out of this scripture about money is this man had money as a higher priority than God. And that's the point that we're getting to here. And a lot of preachers try to use this as saying, we know Christians should live in poverty. They should give every penny to the poor because that's what this scripture says. And again, this has absolutely nothing to do with money. Those are people that have not read this and studied it and really don't know what it's saying. And they miss a huge point here. You could take money out of the verse and you could insert anything in there. You could insert sports, social media, family, friends. You could put anything you wanted to there. The whole point here is priority. Priority is the key issue. It's not money. He's not condemning money. There's a lot of Christians that have a lot of money, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the problem when the money becomes more important than God. Kind of like a lot of people misquote the Bible when they say money is the root of all evil. And the Bible does not say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Which is what the young ruler was facing here. He loved his money more than he loved God. Remember God says you can't serve two masters. Which one are you going to serve? Are you going to serve me? Are you going to serve your riches? And Are you going to serve your life? Are you going to give up everything that you have for me? Or are you not going to do it? You're either going to serve me or you're going to... Turn your face away and you're going to go back to the life that you were living. Either one is your choice, but you can't serve both of us. When following Jesus is not our priority, that's where the problem comes in. Priority is the number one thing that we get from this passage. And it is such a problem that Jesus turned this man away who he loved because he wouldn't rearrange his priorities. And just think about that and kind of picture that in your mind. Jesus is standing there with this guy. And he shows him all this stuff. And he tells him to sell everything he's got. And this man turns around and walks off because he refuses to give up his life to follow Jesus. He walks off and Jesus just lets him go. He wanted Jesus to accept him because all of the great things that he had done, all the law that he had followed... He wanted him to accept him for the things that he had done. He wanted Jesus to accept him for the things that he hadn't done. He said, you know, all these things that I know I shouldn't be doing, Jesus, I hadn't done them. And all these good things I know I should have been doing, I've done them. He wanted Jesus to accept him on those things. But Jesus crushed him, right? 
He wanted everything. He wanted him to follow him. He wanted that relationship with him, and this man refused it. This man wanted to come as a religious leader, as somebody in power, and be respected. And Jesus said, you got to come to me like a penniless beggar with childlike faith. And this guy turned around and walked off. How many times, I wonder, do we try to impress God with the things that we've done or the things that we hadn't done? How many times do we try to impress God with the things that we have and think that really matters when that doesn't matter anything to Him whatsoever? All He wants is a relationship and total commitment from us. God wants us dependent on Him completely and not on anything else. This man depended on his riches and his wealth and his lifestyle more than he wanted to depend on God. And this kind of should have us all squirming in our seats right now, or me in my shoes since I'm not sitting down. But we know there are things in our life that we don't want to give up, right? And just being honest, we're all sitting there thinking, well, there's parts of my life I really don't want to give up. And this guy didn't give it up either, and Jesus let him walk off. That's how radical that is. Jesus didn't say, hey, man, hold up. You know, you've done pretty much everything the law required. You've been a pretty good guy. Come back and let's see if we can come to an understanding. That ain't what he did. Jesus walked, watched this guy walk off basically to an eternity in hell because he would not give up everything to follow him. Just think about that. Like I said, we all have things in our life probably that we think about. Like, I really don't want to give this up. I really don't want to stop doing this or start doing this. But when in reality, when we think about it, we're going to walk into our eternity in hell too because we won't give it up. Because we don't want to change our life to have total commitment and make God a complete priority in Him. And I wonder, you know, I've heard a lot of messages preached over the years and had to listen to 17 billion of them when I was in school and read another 28 billion of them. And I wondered, thought about how watered down so many preachers make the gospel now that it's kind of pointless. A lot of preachers just make it where you just come to church, hear a message, and that's good. You're good till next week. And if you're really a devoted Christian, you may come to Wednesday night. But a lot of them preach such a watered-down message that it really is no point in even getting up to come to church because there's no conviction. There's nothing that changes you. There's nothing in it that has anything to do with anything but make you feel good. It's the priority of God that has been watered down. We don't want to make God a priority because it interferes with our life too much. It interferes with what we're doing and when we're doing stuff. And you know, if we've got some extra time in the day left over, we'll pray or we'll read the Bible. But that's completely opposite. God should be first. God should be the top priority. We basically want the benefits of following Jesus without the work it takes. And as we see from the young ruler here, it takes a lot of work. It takes giving up everything that we have to to make him a top priority. And it don't necessarily even have to be bad things that we have to give up. Like I said, money's not a bad thing, but it was just in priority over him. And that could be anything. It doesn't have to be money. It could be a hundred other things you can insert there. Anything that takes priority over God is what you have to either give up or rearrange where God is in top place. Jesus requires it all from us with no strings, no conditions, no holdbacks. If we try to come to him with strings and conditions, he's not going to take us. He's just going to let us walk away pretty much. 
Jesus says it's me and me alone or it's nothing at all. Jesus requires everything from us. And if we're not willing to give it to Him, we kind of waste our time getting up and coming to church. Because as we see from the Scripture, we're not worthy to follow Him when that happens. We go on down to verse 22. That's backwards. Hold on just a second. This went crazy. I wonder how many church members across the world today, people that sit on pews in churches across the entire planet, that'll think that they're right with God, and then on Judgment Day they're going to find out like the ruler, ruler did. They're going to hear the words, Depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to go in there thinking, they're going to hear, Well and done, my faithful servant. But Jesus is going to turn them away because God's not their priority. How many Christians across the world are going to end up in a place they don't expect because they're not living the life that they should be living? What parts of our life are we knowingly holding back from God? What parts of our life are we knowingly not turning over? What parts of our life are we not giving up or changing because they're our life and it interferes with our life too much? What part, more specifically, what part of your life Are you holding back from them? This could be anything. could be hundreds of different things. Maybe it's, I mean, it could be your language. Maybe we know we shouldn't be talking with vulgar language. And when people say that, immediately their mind goes to cussing, and it can be. There's a lot of other stuff that can go along with vulgar language without ever saying a cuss word. Maybe we need to clean up our mouth. Maybe some of us are unwilling to give up vulgar language for the one that went to the cross that loved us so much and died for us, but we don't want to change the way we talk for Him. Maybe some of it, some people have problems with alcohol. (laughs) Maybe we're not willing to give it up. Maybe we're not willing to give up drinking for the one that drank the cup of death for us. We don't basically think He's worthy of it, so we're just going to continue to do what we want to do. Maybe it's wealth like the young ruler. Maybe we are unwilling to give up what he's already given us because everything's his anyway, right? He's allowed us to borrow it, but we're unwilling to give it up. He's given it to us and we want to hold on to it. So we refuse to turn it over to him like the ruler did. Maybe it's something else, simple as family or social media. And we're just basically unwilling to I guess, um, give up parts of our family life, maybe, if that makes sense. Maybe there's certain family people that are not good influences on us, and it doesn't mean that you have to forget about them and not talk to them. Maybe you just need to distance yourself from them some. It could be anything at all that takes total priority over God. If there's anything that you have that's taken this priority over God, you need to really rearrange your life. And really take a look at what the problem is. Because if God and Jesus is not the top priority, then the life that we're living is not pleasing to Him whatsoever. To what parts of our life are we holding back from Him? Maybe you've never given your life to Him. And today maybe you realize that, you know, I've been holding my life in a higher priority than you. Maybe I need to give my life to you. Maybe I need to turn my life over to you. Maybe I need to... Stop being so selfish and give you everything I got and 
devote my life to you today. Maybe you have. Maybe you've kind of backslid a little bit, which we all do. Maybe you've realized, well, you know, I did give my life to you a long time ago, but I've made a lot of things priority over you, and I've done a lot of things that I didn't want to give up because it's my life, right? I want to do what I want to do. And maybe today you've realized that, hey, I need to change that. Maybe you want to rededicate your life today. And you can do it where you are. You can do it in the seat where you're at. You can do it alone. You can pray in your mind. You can grab some friends, family, come to the altars and pray. You can pray with me. You can pray with anybody. You can do it however you want to do it. But the main point is, if you feel like you need to do something with your life, don't leave here today without doing it. Unfortunately, you don't know if you'll ever have a second chance. As the band comes back to singing, I'm going to close with this one question, and I want you to think about this question. Is are you totally committed to your priority? And that's kind of a tough question, because first of all, you have to figure out what your priority is, and figure out after that, are you totally committed to it? Are you totally committed to living 100% for your priority? And first of all, if your priority is not God, that needs to be rearranged too. So think about that. Are you committed to your priority 100%? Let's pray. And Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we were able to come and hear your message that you have given me. Father, we pray that you will speak to people today. And God, if somebody in here needs to hear a word from you, you will touch their heart and let them hear you in a way that they cannot refuse it, God. Father, if they need to give their life to you or rededicate their life, let them hear that and let them act on it, God. That's what church is for, Father. God, we pray that you will help each person in here make you a top priority if you're not already. If you're not, God, we ask that you will show them so they can make the necessary changes in their life, God. And Lord, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.